This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 557 with Irina Gonzalez. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 557. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Thrive Cosmetics. To save 15% off your first order, go to thrivecosmetics.com slash shameless. That's thrivecausemedics.com slash shameless. This episode is brought to you by my very own Shameless Motivational Coloring Book. To get your free 25-page motivational coloring book with all sorts of fun quotes that you hear me say all the time, go to shamelessmom.com slash coloring. That's shamelessmom.com slash coloring. Irina Gonzalez is a Latina, bisexual, sober, shameless mom. She's also an editor and freelance writer covering parenting, recovery, and Latinx culture. Currently, she is the content marketing manager at Tempest, a membership program that empowers you to live alcohol-free. She's also the creator of the Pandemic Mama podcast, which brings you real conversations about having a baby during COVID-19. Her work has appeared in over 50 publications, including the Washington Post, O, The Oprah Magazine, Parents, and more. She's based in Florida, where she lives with her husband, her one-year-old baby boy, and their fur babies. So I 
learned of Irina through my dear friend, Laura Cathcart Robbins, who was on the show last week. And I actually heard their interview on Laura's show, The Only One in the Room, and it was so good. And so I was like, Laura, will you introduce me to your friend, Irina? And here we are. So now we're all friends, right? (laughs) So I'm so excited to have Irina on the show because that conversation that she had with Laura just It was really, really powerful in so many ways. And I knew that we could have a conversation here more specifically around motherhood that I think would, I think, I hope, I know, will open your eyes and your heart and help you think through some things in your head in new and enlightening ways. And I think you're going to be able to take away some really amazing golden nuggets. So listening to hear Irina share why balance is a damn bad idea. That's like how she opened the conversation. And I was like, we're best friends now. So that's where we started. From there, she talks about how she's juggling being back at work full time, caring for her 14 month old and finding her sense of self after becoming a mother. We talk about the unique identities and her unique identities specifically as a Latina, bisexual, sober mother and writer. She shares her journey into sobriety. We talk about the labels of alcoholic versus alcohol use disorder. She shares why the 12-step recovery framework does not resonate with her. She talks about how moms are not being supported by mommy wine culture, even though we think that that supports us at the end of a long day when we open up a bottle of wine and take those first few sips. She shares the connections that she's made between her alcohol use and anxiety. And then she talks us through eight coping mechanisms that she's using to deal with anxiety and help her manage her mental health during a pandemic. And then we wrap it up by talking about how Irina is taking pride in, quote, showing up as who I am and being vocal about it, unquote. Oh my goodness. You know I'm all about someone who can show up as the person that they truly are and be vocal about it. So I loved this conversation. You're going to enjoy it too. You're going to learn a thing or two. And I think you're going to be fired up and inspired by many of the things that Irina has to share. But I think you're also going to have some new ideas for how you can manage your own habits and own coping skills, whether it's related to anxiety or alcohol or just carrying multiple identities or surviving motherhood or surviving a pandemic. So lots of good stuff in here. So with all that said, let's go ahead and welcome Irina Gonzalez to the Shameless Mom Academy. Irina, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited too. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness. We're going to have fun. So I have to tell people how we got connected. My dear friend, Laura Cathcart Robbins reached out to me and she was like, do you know, Irina Gonzalez, have you connected with her? Would you, she might be a good fit for your show. And then I listened to your interview on Laura's (laughs) podcast. So Laura is the host of the only one in the room, which I recommend to everyone. And Mm -hmm. I listened to your interview and I was like, oh, for sure. (laughs) Irina needs to come on the show now. (laughs) Yay. Yeah, it took us a little while, though, because I was like moving and chaos and everything. But I'm really happy to be here now. I'm hey, that's life, right? Yeah, (laughs) especially mom life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny because people when they have to reschedule, they're often really, really apologetic. And I'm like, we all do it. Like it's that's <laughs> just being a mom and like things yep. come up and the world is always spinning 50% faster than you want it to be, if not more. Mm-hmm. And so yes. So can you tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now? Sure. Oh man, that's actually a tough question. It's a um, big question to start off with. We just dive right yeah, in. <laughs> yeah. The dynamics, you know, I think something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is just like this idea of balance and how it is a 
damn bad idea. And what I mean by that is I think that when we talk as moms about, you know, balancing, it sort of like implies that older idea of like having it all. And I just don't think that's possible, you know, and I say that with love. And I say that as someone who considers herself very ambitious and very accomplished and, you know, and I love my family and I love like myself and I want to do things for myself as well. And, you know, that kind of like, work-life balance thing is just like really tripping me up lately because it's just like not possible. So when I think about, you know, your question of like, basically like how does the dynamics of work and life go right now for me, it's a lot of just like figuring it out day by day and recognizing that I really like can't do it all and that there's no such thing as balance. And like the best I can do is just like see how today goes and, you know, and I'll admit like, it's really it's not easy. One thing that I've been struggling with is just the fact that I went back to full-time work in March, which, you know, was the first time that I'd worked as many hours since I had my baby the previous March, but also like I'd been a freelancer and a contractor for the previous five years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, now I'm like, I'm in a full-time job and I love it. I love my company. I love what I'm doing. And it's so fulfilling, but it's also really fulfilling to be with my child. And, you know, one thing I realized that it's really like, it's really difficult to get back into that, that like full-time mindset. And I'm really excited by it. And I love what I'm doing, but I've kind of been like, you know, quote unquote, dropping the ball a little bit in my personal life, not like with my child, but with, you know, with like cleaning the house or like, you know, my husband is really frustrated because we haven't been unpacking as quickly as, as we could be. And, you know, a lot of that, I'm just like, I'm just having a hard time managing and I'm trying to be like really kind to myself because I just like, don't think I can, you know, balance it all because there's no such thing as really balancing. I mean, it's hard. It's really hard. So I don't know. I guess where I am right now is just like figuring out how to be, you know, this new person where, you know, I'm back to full-time work and I'm also like a full-time mom and, you know, my baby's in, in daycare and it's just like, figuring out what that means for me and who I am outside of all of those things too. Right. Oh my gosh. So yes, to all of that. And especially that final piece, figuring out who you are within all of that and outside all of that. And th- that's such a big question and a big question mark. I also have to point out that I'm really excited and I want to honor that the way we kicked off this conversation was you just coming out right out and saying, I think balance is a damn bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, that might be my favorite intro ever to an interview. (laughs) Excellent. But absolutely. And I talk about this a lot when I, after I had my son, my identity was like, so I was like, what just happened to my sense of self? Because Mm -hmm. the first full year that I had him, I kept thinking like I would quote unquote, go back to normal sooner or later, like Mm -hmm. things would go back. Mm -hmm. Like I would be myself again after a certain amount of time. And then after he turned one and I still hadn't gone back to normal, I was like, oh my God, like, where am I going? If I'm not going back to normal, like, what does this mean? And who am I? And it took so Mm -hmm. long to figure that out. And you're in that right now. You're remind me, how old is your child? He is going to be 14 months, like in a week. So So you're like right in that spot of, oh yeah. And you have all these big transitions. So you did this big move, you're in a new job, and then you have this toddler and that is, it's so much. And to be in that and then trying to define yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't even try. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's tough. Just, like, I mean, keep I, waking I, up and seeing <laughs> what happens. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, I think the first six months of my baby's life, I was just like so busy trying to figure everything out. And also it was like right in the beginning of the pandemic. And it was like, I didn't even have a, a single thought, I think, in my head about what I care about or what I want to do. And it wasn't really until, you know, after that six month mark that I kind of started to think a little bit more and a little bit more. And then I remember, I think after he turned about nine months, I started to get like back into makeup, which is like really random, but I did, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm enjoying putting on makeup a little bit more, which again is like something that like, I feel like used to be a big part of my identity when I was a full-time employee like years ago. And then I kind of like stopped caring because I, you know, I was a remote worker and I was a freelancer and I kind of like schlubbed around the house and I didn't right. care. But then now I'm like trying to recapture myself in these like little bits and pieces. And it's really hard and confusing. Like I had this conversation with my husband the other day. I bought myself a cute little like, you know, little, little like cotton summer dress on Amazon. And I was like trying it on for him. And he's like, oh, that's cute. He's like, why'd you get that though? And I was like, well, I don't really have any summer dresses. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I'm not the same body that I was before a kid. And I know he yeah. knows that. Right. And he's like very understanding, but it like didn't click for him because, right. you know, at the end of the day, like we as moms are the ones that are like changing and our bodies are different. And, and that's just the external, right? Like there's yeah. like, there's like a million more things going on underneath that like, I'm nothing just like, is the still, same. you can't, nothing, nothing is, is the same. same. You can't even wear your same dress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, exactly. I can't even wear the same dress. And, you know, and it's like hard to explain to people outside of like the experiences that we're having. And like, it's almost like I can almost talk with another mom about these things and they'll understand some things, but there are also a lot of things that are like very unique to our situation too. Like just, there are just some things that only I can understand about this experience that I've had for the past 14 months. Right. Absolutely. So that leads into my next question. And one of the things that I loved about your conversation with Laura on the only one in the room is the way you talked about identity and the layers of identity that you carry and you own them with such pride. And I was really touched by that. Can you share the identities that you carry? Sure. Hopefully I don't forget one, (laughs) but I would say, you know, first and foremost, of course, I'm a woman and a mother. I'm a Latina. I am bisexual. I'm sober and I'm a writer. I mean, and I'm sure there's other things that are part of my identity too, but those are kind of the, the main ones I would say. And that's, so you just mentioned that the last 14 months, there's so many things that are relatable between moms, across moms, across common experiences in motherhood. But when you put your identities out there like that, and you talk about, I'm showing up as a Latina, bisexual, sober mom, living in, raising my child's first year in a pandemic, like you put all <laughs> on it. And then you're like, oh, this is a very unique experience. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. like there's yeah. this universality, universality. I don't, there's a universal component of motherhood. And then there's the piece of it. That's like just yours alone. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you can feel super connected and then sometimes completely isolated. Yeah, it's really true. I will say though, like sometimes I find that it's actually precisely th- those unique and like very unique and niche pieces that actually make people connect on a deeper level. Yeah. And I'm not, and I can't quite capture why that is. And I'm sure people much smarter than me have maybe studied this or, or written about it. But, you know, when I've written some of the most personal things that I've written, you know, in my life, And some of the things that like, I joke, it's like bleeding on the page, you know, it's like so hard to write and it's so hard to reveal this like really intimate, very specific part of myself. Those actually are the pieces that touch people the most. And 
you know, and in a weird way that people really relate to. And it still shocks me. Like one of the pieces that I wrote a couple of years ago now for Glamour, shortly after experiencing a miscarriage and then being pregnant again. And, you know, and I wrote this piece about all the anxiety that I was experiencing with my second pregnancy. And that is like a piece that actually, I guess, isn't like, isn't super specific, but is in some ways, but you know, but it was really hard to do. And it was such a big part of my identity. And it still is. I mean, I'm still someone who experienced this loss and who still Mm. thinks about, you know, the baby that could have been that I know a lot of women do. But, you know, sharing that really intimate, specific part of myself actually is something that brings in people a lot. I mean, I still get messages on Instagram from from women who are going through that right now. And I mean, I wrote this piece years ago. Yeah. And I absolutely agree. We went through and some infertility or a couple of years of infertility and kind of two different journeys. Mm-hmm. And when I, when we went through it the first time, I didn't talk about it at all. And it was super isolating. The second time we went through it, I talked about all of it all the time everywhere. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it was a really different experience. And it was mm-hmm. fascinating kind of to see like the difference between like managing it privately and managing it publicly and that feeling of support around it. But what was fascinating to me was the connection between so many people that I got messages from who were like, oh my gosh, I've been there. It's been seven years for us or 10 years for us, or we're Mm -hmm. using donor eggs, or we're doing this, or we're doing that. Or, and I was like, holy cow, like, I'm so glad it felt weird when you put things up on social media, or in your case, you put it in an article and you write it and you think it's like people, like you said, bleeding on the page, people are like seeing these really intimate details and you're like cringing Mm -hmm. a little bit as you put it out there. And then there's this exhale when people are like, oh my gosh, I see you. And you're talking about me and this, everything that you said relates. And it really shifts. I think it shifts Um, how you view your own story, but it also really cements your story as a part of your identity when you get that kind of feedback and get that validation of other people being able to relate. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And they're specifically designed to combat 
chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, my various forms of identity are different things that I've struggled with. You know, I mean, I struggled with even being Latina and the fact that, you know, I come from a Cuban background, something that I struggled with a lot as a child, because I, you know, my mom is Russian, actually, and my my dad is Cuban. And, you know, and I've always battled with this, like, dual identity, and what does it mean? And, you know, and I didn't relate to a lot of the other Cuban people I knew growing up. And so it was really hard for me until I really like started to meet other Latinx people as I started to grow up and really like was able to embrace that part of my identity and and understand it on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, like being a mother or being sober or being bisexual, like these are all things that I connect with on these deeper levels because I'm sharing them because I'm open about them. And I will say that, you know, part of that might also be because I'm an extrovert. And, you know, one thing that I've learned about myself as an extrovert, which I know is another label, but let's just go with it. But one of the things that, you know, extroverts do other than, you know, obviously we're social and friendly and all that stuff, but we also process things out loud. And that's like been so much of my healing process. You know, it took about, I think it was only like three months from when I you know, went to rehab to when I decided to be open about the fact that I was in recovery from alcohol use disorder. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that journey has now like that sharing journey about my recovery and sobriety and all of the struggles that I went through in getting sober, like that has actually been such a big part of my most recent story. And, you know, as you said, like sharing about it and getting that feedback from other people has really helped to cement that as part of my identity. And it has helped me to feel supported and it really has helped me to stay sober and helped me to connect with that part of my, my identity and really helped me to connect with the other parts of my identity as well. Yeah. So let's, I want to talk a little bit about you being a sober mom. You describe yourself as a sober mom. Can you tell us which mm-hmm. came first? So for me, sobriety came first. I got sober. It'll be, oh gosh, six years in July. This Congratulations. July. Thank you. Yeah. So that's been quite a journey. And I actually, funnily enough, so I got sober in in rehab in July, 2015. And then in April, 2016, I made the choice to leave New York city, which is where I had been living for the past 12 years and move back in with my parents because like sobriety and recovery was just like not working. 
in the city and it was like really difficult and I was struggling. And so I moved back in with my parents. I had just turned 30. I was going through this like kind of mini crisis, but I knew like I just couldn't be in New York anymore, even though I loved it. And it's still my favorite city. And, you know, I wish I could live there, but it's just it's just not for me right now. But I met my husband like a week after moving, which is like so crazy to me. Wow. But, you know, but that's like how our story went. And it's funny. I remember like going on the dating apps, just thinking like, well, you know, I just moved like I'm living with my parents. I need to like make friends or something. Right, exactly. Just make some friends, someone to hang <laughs> just out make with. Some friends. Yeah. And he ended up being my first date and there was no more dates. Oh that. my like, gosh. I know. It's like, I joke. It's like such a rom-com. Like, it we is. Met, you know, <laughs> totally. Um, you definitely need really to have a Netflix is. special. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Oh if anyone God. here is listening at Netflix, please, I will write right. it, star in it, whatever. <laughs> right. Right. You have the qualifications for writing it yes. for sure. I mean, that's yes. what you do. Um, yeah. I will say, I mean, the journey to being a sober mom has, you know, been challenging in itself. And I will say having a baby in a pandemic was this whole very unique challenge, but also being a sober mom is this like really unique challenge because there's a lot of things that I can't relate to sometimes when I talk to other mothers online, you know, I mean, as I'm sure a lot of women are, I'm in like a million of mom groups on Facebook of varying degrees. And, you know, and sometimes I've posted about whatever struggles I'm going through or just like asking for self-help for self-care tips and that kind of thing. And, you know, one thing that comes up a lot because we live in this like very alcohol centric culture at this moment in time, a lot of women will suggest like, Oh, you know, like get away from the kids, like have some wine, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a sober mom, I just like, can't relate to that. And I also, and I don't mean to judge anyone, but I do sometimes worry about this kind of like bigger conversation that we're having around like wine mom culture where Mm -hmm. moms are just like, I feel the moms are not being supported, you know, like, Like if the answer to I'm having a hard day is have a glass of wine instead of like, hey, maybe your husband needs to clean the dishes instead of you, like something is missing, you know, like some part of the conversation is missing if the way that moms are encouraged to seek support and care is through, you know, a substance versus, you know, asking our community and the people around us to help us more. Like, I feel like there's a big disconnect there. And that's something that I've been battling as a sober mom and as someone who is, you know, part of this conversation now and just like trying to figure out what it means for me too. Yeah. It's incredibly disempowering for the the suggestion for moms to relax or take a break is Mm -hmm. frequently wine. That suggests that we don't have any other coping skills and that we're not like able to make choices that would maybe be more that would serve us better. And perhaps that is because alcohol companies are run by rich white men and it (laughs) serves them really well to have us all buy into this idea that we don't have any coping skills. So therefore we should have a glass of wine every time we feel stressed out. Yeah. I mean, there is, you just said a mouthful. I mean, there is, I know that was a lot. (laughs) There's a whole thing. Welcome Um, to my head. (laughs) Yes. But there is like, that is a whole thing about how, alcohol companies, you know, used to be essentially against women because they, you know, in like the twenties women, the temperance movement was largely run by women. And because of that, alcohol companies actually donated money to politicians who like were against giving women the right to vote. Right. Like that's just, that was a fact. And then eventually sometime like, you know, later in the decade or I'm sorry, in the century, 
alcohol companies pivoted and realized that actually women are holding the first strings in their households yeah. and they're a huge part of the market. And now, you know, we have mommy juice and we have like pink wine and we have like all these advertisements geared toward women that are really like displaying all these messages that, you know, if you're a feminist and if you want to be powerful, like you can drink like the boys and you can have your pink wine and there's nothing wrong mm. with that. And maybe there's nothing wrong with that for some people, but there is something wrong with that. If that's the messaging we're getting right. all the time from yeah. all of these companies that have millions and billions of dollars. And, right. you know, no one is saying like, no one is talking about the fact that childcare is prohibitively expensive. And if you can't afford childcare, but you have to work, like, you're a mom who is, you know, like maybe going out of your mind because you're trying to take care of the kid and you're trying to work remote and you're trying to handle it all and trying to do this whole like balance thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and at the end of the day, you're saying to a friend of yours, oh my God, I'm so tired and I don't know what to do. And your friend is like, well, have a glass of wine and relax. But you're thinking, no, what I need is like the government to figure out affordable childcare. I don't need a glass of wine. I, you know, oh my gosh, 100%, 100%. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's so true. And like, here's, I'm not sober, but I'm become so conscientious about how I talk Mm -hmm. about wine. And I'm someone who used to like all my pictures on social media were me having a glass of wine just because I thought it was like (laughs) fun. And now I'm like, oh my God, like I was so bought into wine culture and I don't want to be that person. Like, I just don't think it's productive. It's not helpful. It's not supportive. It doesn't get Mm -hmm. empowering. And so I think that you can be sober and have recognition of this, which is, you know, in your case, or you can not be sober and also have recognition of like the mm-hmm. way we are being indoctrinated around wine culture and the dangers of that. And to your point around like, oh my gosh, what we really need, like universal childcare versus what's being suggested that we need and putting more energy into that and having a level of conscientiousness around that. And there's a huge difference between the two. And I think that's so significant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I've personally gotten to the point where, you know, my sobriety means a lot to me, but I'm sober, you know, because I discovered in sobriety and actually was diagnosed in rehab with an anxiety disorder. And now I'm sober for many reasons, but one of them is that I recognize that alcohol does not benefit my mental health and it's actually damaging and makes my anxiety worse. But, you know, that's my story, but that's not the story for everyone. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I really encourage others to do in general, and that, you know, we do a lot through my work at Tempest is just help people think about their relationship with alcohol. And you don't have to have, you know, I mean, I will fully admit, like, I definitely was like, a, I hit rock bottom, I lost a job, like, it was terrible. Like, but you don't have to have that story in order to take a step back and say, well, am I drinking? Okay, like, is my relationship with alcohol actually helping me and actually benefiting mm-hmm. me and actually still mostly positive or is it causing some damage like is there things that i need to rethink about or reset like do i need to reevaluate how alcohol plays a role in my life you know and i do think that for some people it's totally okay and like quote unquote normal to drink but are you drinking every day or are you binge drinking like every weekend or are you using alcohol, like you said, as a coping mechanism Mm -hmm. instead of maybe thinking about what it is that you're coping with and finding other ways to deal with it. You know, for me, you know, I was using alcohol to cope with like really terrible generalized anxiety disorder. And I recognize that now and it's still really hard. And I choose to use 
other coping mechanisms to deal with my anxiety, you know, because that's like what works for me. And for other people, other things work. But, you know, I now know that like alcohol didn't serve me and I'd rather not have it in my life. But for other people, they might have that conversation with themselves and say, you know what? my relationship with alcohol is okay. Or they might say, you know what, maybe I need to like cut back or maybe I want to do, you know, like a 30 month sobriety challenge to see how I feel and see how my body feels. And, you know, maybe after that reintegrate alcohol into my life in a different way or, you know, in a lesser way or, or whatever, like think like the path to, you know, the path with alcohol, I think is different for everybody. But I think that the thing that I really want to stress to people and to moms in particular is like, just take a step and think about how it like what the role of alcohol is in your life. And it's okay if you want to keep it to where it is right now. But I think there is a lot of value in at least thinking about it, you know, at least like evaluating if it's helping you. And if it's a good relationship, and you feel secure in that, like, great, more power to you. I'm not that person. But if you are like, that's fantastic. You know, but everyone just has like such a different journey. And I think that the thing we're missing right now in, you know, this mommy wine culture and in our, you know, alcohol centric culture in general is just like thinking about whether it makes sense in your life at this time and in how much you're drinking. And it's okay if, you know, if you take a step back and say, actually, I might be drinking a little bit too much and maybe I want to come back. And that doesn't, you don't have to label yourself. You don't have to feel shame. Like that's just the story, you know, and it's okay to just like, think about it in these like different ways, you know, because again, I just want to stress, like, you don't have to have my story of like having undiagnosed anxiety and losing my job before you like, think about whether alcohol is actually serving you or not. Like you can think about that right now, you know, like I'm drinking a glass of wine every night and I feel okay about that. Great. Good for you. But maybe you don't feel okay about that. And maybe that takes a little bit more thought and reevaluating how, you know, alcohol shows up in your life. This episode is supported by Thrive Cosmetics. Oh my gosh, I'm such a fan. I use, I think three, maybe four Thrive Cosmetics products every single day. So like they're part of my daily routine. They are part of my morning routine, my daily routine. I love, love, love their stuff. So here's what I love. I love that Thrive Cosmetics makes high performance vegan, 100% cruelty-free products without the use of parabens or sulfates. So I love that I feel good about the products and when I'm using them, but I also love their bigger than beauty mission. I love a company with a mission. And so here's the thing. With their Bigger Than Beauty mission for every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help women thrive. So they are supporting women emerging from homelessness, surviving domestic abuse, fighting cancer, and more. And they never test on animals. I mean, there's like one thing after another to love about Thrive Cosmetics. So let me tell you what I use of theirs. And I've talked about their mascara before because that's like my very favorite. So their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara is my favorite. It's also their best-selling product. I recently learned. I love it. And people ask me if I have lash extensions and I don't. I had them for a long time and I found it to be difficult to keep up with and also really expensive. And I honestly didn't have the time to like lay there and get my lashes done every two or three weeks for an hour and a half. It just became too much. So now I have my liquid lash extensions mascara and it makes my lashes look long and thick and full and luscious. And I don't have to pay $1 million a month to get lash extensions or lay on this table and not be able to use my time in other ways. So I love that. But here's the new thing I'm using. I'm using their Bright Balance 3-in-1 Cleanser. And I don't think I've talked about this yet. So I use this 
in the shower when I'm washing my face. So I have the world's driest skin. I don't know if it's a redhead thing or a Seattle thing or being a 45-year-old thing, but I have such dry skin. And their, their three-in-one cleanser that I use, it is moisturizing instead of dehydrating like water. Like I literally can feel when I use it and then I rinse it off in the shower. I feel moisture being held into my skin cells and I love it so much. So I want you to go check out Thrive Cosmetics and see what might be your favorite options and your favorite cosmetics. So here's what you can do. I love everything about Thrive Cosmetics. They're the best products I've used in so long and their bigger than beauty mission is truly inspiring. You're gonna love them as much as I do. And I know many of you actually have already gone and purchased from them because you've told me. So I love that. Thank you so much. Whenever you support Thrive Cosmetics, you're also supporting the Shameless Mom Academy. So visit thrivecosmetics.com slash shameless for 15% off your first order. This is an exclusive offer you can only get here. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S.com slash shameless for 15% off your first order. Thrivecosmetics.com slash shameless. I love that idea around like, is it serving you? And also, and you mentioned centering it. Like if we just like culturally could decentralize alcohol, like not centering (laughs) alcohol or celebrating it. I was actually talking to a friend of mine who's sober and she was saying, we were talking about Real Housewives because we like really quality TV, (laughs) but she was saying, she's like, I really think I have to give up on the Real Housewives of New York because the way they celebrate alcohol use in a way that does not serve the women, like it's the women who are making, Mm. making these really poor decisions on TV under the influence of alcohol. And she's like, for a long time, like the drama was fun and funny to me, but now she's like, it's just a celebration of really Mm -hmm. unhealthy relationships with alcohol. And when she pointed it out to me, I was like, oh my God, you're so right. Like it really (laughs) is. And I had noticed like this kind of evolution where I was like, these characters are like getting a little over the top. This is getting a little Mm -hmm. annoying. I didn't find it relatable. I didn't find it funny. I was like, this is just kind of whatever. And then when she, when she framed it that way, I was like, that's exactly what it is. It's celebrating Mm -hmm. this relationship with alcohol. That is such a disservice to, to the women who are participating. And then this is being promoted as entertainment. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, I'm really uncomfortable with this. (laughs) Yeah. I was just gonna say, there's nothing wrong with like, liking bad TV, but I think that is something to think about, right? Is like, how is this serving? And like, is it actually adding anything to like, to like my life to watch these women, like do what they do under the influence? Yeah. Maybe it's not. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned something earlier in the conversation that I wanted to ask you about. You mentioned having alcohol use disorder. And I thought that like Mm -hmm. jumped out at me because I'm sure that's, you've intentionally say that versus I haven't heard you say I'm an alcoholic. And I'm curious Mm -hmm. if there's a difference there and a nuance that is distinguished that that you distinguish. Yes. So this is something that is very purposeful for me that I've partially learned, you know, through my work at Tempest, but also just through my own exploration of sobriety and, and recovery, what it means to me today. So when I entered rehab, you know, I, it was a very traditional, like, you know, 30 day program. We went to AA and NA meetings every day. And, you know, it took me a little bit in in those at the time to say the words, I'm an alcoholic. And I did say that, and I did embrace that label for a little bit, but it never felt like it really fits, even though, you know, the conversation we've been having is about how, like, there are a lot of labels in my life that I feel fit me and that I embrace wholeheartedly, but the label alcoholic never really fit. And I couldn't really put my finger on why. And, you know, And I do want to preface this by saying, I know Alcoholics Anonymous helps tons of people and I am supportive of that program because it it has been shown to help a lot of people for a really long time. But for me, 
it was not useful. And the reason that it wasn't useful for me is because, you know, the AA model is based on these like 12 steps, right? And these 12 steps were written by older white men in like the early 20th century. And I am not an old white man, (laughs) you know, living a hundred years ago. I am a woman in the 21st century and I am, you know, a woman with all these complex emotions and labels and feelings. And for me, what really bothered me is in the first step, you are asked to admit you are powerless over alcohol. Mm -hmm. And while I know that step is very, very crucial and important for a lot of folks, it didn't make sense to me. To me, like whenever it was brought up, I remember thinking, and I still think, like I did not come here to rehab and I did not like come into recovery in order to like talk about being powerless. I came here to empower myself. And I just kept thinking that like, I am here to empower myself. I am here to empower myself. And this language and this like framing of the problem didn't really make sense to me. And it wasn't something that I connected with. And it wasn't something that I fully understood until I later dabbled with going to smart recovery meetings, which are, you know, based in cognitive behavioral theory or therapy, sorry, cognitive behavioral therapy. And to me, that made a lot more sense because a lot of those meetings were kind of like label free and label optional. And they were much more focused on like, here's my issue. And here are like tools to deal with it. And I just like found that framework a lot more helpful. And as I grew and as I learned more about sobriety and recovery, and as I learned about the labels, I found that I was really not comfortable labeling myself an alcoholic anymore because it just like didn't feel like a part of my personality. It felt like something I dealt with, but not someone that I was. And it was very distinct in, you know, in my mind and in my heart, I guess, that I feel like I'm someone in recovery and I'm sober, but I don't feel that the label alcoholic really made sense for me. I do label myself as someone with who struggled with alcohol use disorder. And the reason why I use that term, besides the fact that it's like the medical and more clinical term, is that to me, it feels like alcohol use disorder is a spectrum. And when we talk about alcoholism, you know, there are all these like cultural understandings of drinking and alcoholism and the whole rock bottom notion, which is fine. But for me, it really does feel like so much more of a spectrum. And so alcohol use disorder is something that I use specifically because I now recognize that, you know, just as we were talking about, you don't have to be losing your job in order to rethink your relationship with alcohol. Alcohol use disorder is actually the reason why I talk about it in in those terms, because alcohol use disorder is a spectrum. Like, you know, you can have two or three of the alcohol use disorder symptoms and be, you know, in the mild category. But if alcohol is having a negative impact on your life, you might want to rethink that, right? Whereas like alcoholism in the way that we recognize it as a society is really more of like severe alcohol use disorder, which is like, you know, when you're having all the symptoms and when you're like really like completely down on your luck. And even though- Really dysfunctional, like you aren't Yeah, really dysfunctional, exactly. And, you know, and even though I was further along the spectrum, I actually don't think I was like, I do feel like I hit my rock bottom, but at the same time, like I wasn't, you know, there was a lot of people I met in those AA rooms that I was like, I can't relate to them at all. I mean, these people have like never had a stable job and they've like never, you know, gone to therapy or like recognize that they have depression 
And I felt like, I mean, I was a functional adult who barely drank for the first 10 years of my life. And Mm -hmm. like, I didn't feel like I fit those labels. And, you know, I do feel that alcohol use disorder is just like a better way to think of it in terms of like the bigger spectrum and the bigger society. And, you know, and I think this is especially personal to me because I also, you know, classify myself as a bisexual woman. And I think of sexuality as a spectrum too. And it just makes sense to me in those terms. I think the thing ultimately what really turned me off from the label alcoholic is that there is this like very black and white thinking about it. And it's like, you either are or you aren't. And if you are, you are forever. And I just, I don't feel like I am forever. Like, you know, I'm where I am today. And it's a very different place than I was six years ago. And it just like, that label doesn't make sense to me. Just like, you know, the label gay or straight didn't make sense for me personally, because I was like, I'm not a black and white person. Like I am somewhere in the middle. And I feel that way with alcohol use disorder too. Oh my goodness. I appreciate all of that so much. I think those are you made like some really important distinctions in there that I think are really important around labeling and around Mm -hmm. frameworks around power and powerlessness. And then I 100% agree with this spectrum and I'm someone, it's funny. Well, our brains automatically want things to be black and white, right? We want to put, (laughs) yeah. And I'm like a black or white thing. I'm like either. And I'm like, so social justice things. I'm like, it's so wrong. Like I'm very (laughs) with those kinds of things. But then when Mm -hmm. it comes to like, living your life and like relating to people (laughs) and being a human. There's so many things that are on a spectrum that we have not been taught are on a spectrum. So we believe Mm -hmm. all of these because people, because it's easier to categorize, we've been trained that like this exists in one way or in one of two ways only like it's this yeah. it's a or it's B, but it's like, you, there's not a C, D or E or an <laughs> A.1 or, you know, and I think that's really, really important and really significant for us to consider. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. And I also really think that the evolution, and this is something as I've had more and more sober friends, this is something that I think is so important is the evolution of how we talk about recovery and how recovery works differently for different people. And Mm -hmm. to your point around like frameworks working for certain people because they were developed by, you know, old white men a really long time ago versus like not working for, you know, a 32 year old 
mom Mm -hmm. with maybe who's also carrying some other identities as well. I'm assuming like every layer of identity you add on to there being Latina, being bisexual, like all these things makes you would make you more and more resistant to this super binary approach to like, you're a super dysfunctional alcoholic or you are fine. Yeah. It's very confusing. And I would say it was very confusing for me for a long time, but it just, you know, I feel like I just got to a place where that label didn't make sense and other labels do make sense. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is much more about the story that I tell myself about who I am and the labels that fit me and the labels that don't. And I feel like in this case, by rejecting the label alcoholic, I actually feel empowered. You know, I feel like good with that. And some people don't, some people need that label in order to be successful in their recovery. And that's totally fine too. But, you know, like we were saying, like, things are so different for so many people. And, you know, it's really about like kind of finding your own, the thing that really makes sense for you internally. And it can take some time, you know, like just as we were saying earlier, like it takes time to recognize who you are now after becoming a mother. And that takes a really long time and it is very confusing and I think it's ever evolving. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, for me, it feels like something like the big book in AA, like hasn't really evolved with the times. And it just like, for me, that made me uncomfortable. And it just didn't make sense. Like, that's why I, you know, I think that the modern kind of like recovery movement with, you know, we have all these sober influencers, and we have all these books, and we have all this like, literature and studies. And it just like, we can talk about alcohol and alcohol use disorder, and, you know, problematic drinking and excessive drinking and all these things like, in much different and nuanced ways, because the thing is, as much as our brains, you know, really do prefer to put things in black and white, like that's not life. Like life is nuanced and life is complicated. And, you know, another label that I kind of like, I'm I'm still figuring out for myself is like the label of a working mom, because I, Mm -hmm. you know, like I will fully admit after my husband and I met and, you know, fell in love and, decided like, you know, this was it, we were going to get married and have kids. Eventually, I actually purposefully stayed a freelancer, because the idea I had in my head of motherhood at the time was that, well, you know, I already work from home. So I'll just stay a freelancer. And then when I have a baby, I will continue to freelance. And I'll be like a stay at home mom that also works on the side. And it's going to be great. Like that was what I had oh in my gosh, head. And that was exactly my vision, by the way. And it <laughs> right? did not yeah. go well. <laughs> it did not go well. Yeah. And same thing for me. Like I thought that was what I really wanted and that that was what was going to make sense for me. And then when it came time for it, like it did not work. Like I yeah. I'm someone who has always really loved my work and really felt fulfilled by my work. And I still do. And it took like, you know, it took a year for me to recognize that actually I want to be working more. And even now, like, I still don't know if the whole like working mom label fits, but I feel that makes a little bit more sense to me than like being a stay at home mom who occasionally works on the side, you know, like that just didn't make sense for me. And I thought it would, you know, and like some, just like, you know, the label alcoholic made sense to me in the beginning and then now it doesn't. And, you know, it's such an evolution. And I think that that's like what we really miss when we put things into like these black and white categories, which I feel like is the same thing with like being a working mom or being a not working, you know, being a stay-at-home mom, like all moms work, you know, at the end of the day, like if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're still doing stuff like parenting is your job, 
you know, like that's what you're doing 24 seven, but you're still like working there. And like, you know, for me right now, like I'm, you know, I have like, I, you know, I could quote call myself a working mom because I, you know, spend, you know, nine to five at a full-time job, but I'm still like working and worrying about, and like doing parenting work, you know, in my head at the same yeah. time, or yeah. like after work, I'm still, you know, doing the hard work of parenting. And it's sort of like, that's like another thing that like is very, sometimes like we're pitted against each other in this like very black and white way, but like, we're all like moms who do work, whether we do work for pay for a company or we have our own business or, you know, or a podcast, or we just are moms who are, you know, devoted a hundred percent of our time to raising our children. Like that's mm-hmm. still a lot of work. Oh and, yeah. That's you the know, work I don't, did not want to do as it turned out. I was oof, like, that's no, harder yes. work. <laughs> it's so hard. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, I it's like funny because I, yeah, I do too. I'm like, I could not do it. Like good for you. You know, one thing that I, I kind of laugh about now, I remember a lot of moms, you know, women who were moms before me telling me like, oh, you know, like they always tell you nap when the baby naps and it's so hard, but like, you know, it's okay if you don't nap, like it's okay if you do other things, blah, 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 you know, cause everyone encourages you to nap when the baby naps and you can't. And I had no problem napping when the baby napped. I, I was like it. so exhausted. Like bring it on. All the time. Yes. I was like, the dishes? Screw the dishes. Like yes. I'm not one of those moms yes. who's going to be able to like do the housework and parent my kid. I was pretty much like, you know what? Like all I can handle right now is parenting my kid. And when he naps, like I am down yes. for it too. Yes. Oh my gosh. And, I was very, yeah. I was like, not the, the idea of being productive during nap time was uh, not happening for me. I was yeah. like, this is yeah, back to Real Housewives. I was like, this is when I will catch <laughs> up on Real Housewives. I will mm-hmm. like, this is my only time to chill and breathe. And that's, what's going to yeah. happen. So yeah. Yeah. It. It's funny. One thing that has come up for me a lot in this past year of motherhood too, is that is like, using social media and, you know, a lot of folks are, you know, rightly so against like, you know, overusing it and it can be harmful and there's, you know, all these like negative effects. But for me, like, that's actually my me time at this point, Mm. you know, and and it's getting a little better now, but I would say, and this is mostly, I would say because of the pandemic, but like, yeah, like when my baby would nap, like if I wasn't napping myself, I was like scrolling through Instagram because that was like, my only connection to the outside world. And I would like chat with people and connect with other moms and talk with my like friends who don't live in my same city or who I couldn't see because it was the pandemic, you know? And I was like, I mean, that's my source of the outside world. And I, and I remember a few folks like telling me like, Oh, like social media can be so bad. And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> like it's my lifeline. Me, it's like my <laughs> lifeline. Yeah. And I mean, I even had a conversation with my therapist about it and she was like, yeah. It sounds like you're using it in a really healthy way. Yeah. So like, don't worry about it. Yeah. There's that, that we were back to a spectrum now, right? You're like, right. Are you using right. something in a way that's serving you or not? And you are, and mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I love it. I want to ask yeah. you, you mentioned coping with anxiety. Well, you mentioned managing anxiety mm-hmm. sounds like throughout your life, but you specifically mentioned learning to cope with anxiety in different ways instead of alcohol. And I'm curious for you, how you handle your mental health and take care of yourself as a sober mom during the pandemic. What are some of those coping skills that you use? Cause we have a lot, I'm, I was actually just diagnosed this year with general anxiety disorder to no one's surprise. Like this wasn't like, was like oh my God, I was like, Oh, finally, like that makes right. a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a lot of listeners who have been following my anxiety journey very much relate to it. So I think that this could be helpful for a lot of our moms to know, like, what are some of the coping skills that you use and how do they serve you in in this time around being a mom and being a sober mom in a pandemic? Well, I will say that 
probably the number one thing is therapy, which I highly recommend to anyone, whether you have a mental illness or not. I think therapy should just be like a check-in for people periodically. I will say, and this is not the choice for anyone, for everyone, I mean, and it certainly wasn't my choice for a very long time, but I am now on anxiety medication. And I'm, I try to be open about that because I spent, you know, the first five years of recognizing that I have an anxiety disorder, like really not wanting medication. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't until I got pregnant and like the second time and experienced, you know, what I would call perinatal anxiety because it was so heightened on top of the anxiety I was already feeling. And then we went into a pandemic and I literally shortly after the pandemic, I was having like almost like panic attacks. And I was like in my, you know, like my 36th week of pregnancy. And, you know, at the time I just like talked to my doctor and I was like, I think we're here. I think I'm finally at the point where I need medication. And she was like, great, we will start, you know, this was my OB. So she wanted me to wait until I had the baby, which of course I understand, you know, and now it's been a year and I'm very happy on medication. I feel that for me, you know, I have family members and friends who have suffered from depression. And the way a lot of folks described depression medication to me in the past is that, you know, they still feel those feelings and have those thoughts, but the medication helps them lift themselves out of depression a lot quicker. And they also don't get to the low lows like they used to. And that's how I'm kind of feeling about the anxiety medication is that I don't get quite as into the anxiety and I can also pull myself out of it a lot quicker. I mean, it still happens certainly every day, but it's just like much easier. Aside from that, though, because I know medication and therapy are not always accessible to folks and they're not always options, you know, I try to really take care of myself a lot by sleeping well. I read this fantastic book years ago called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, which I highly recommend. This is like the number one book I recommend to everybody, you know, second only to like Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker, which is like a great book if you're at all curious about your relationship with alcohol. We will link both of these books in the show notes because I know they're oh, both, great. I'm familiar with both books and they're both okay. wildly popular books and they really are important books around drinking and around sleeping. So we'll link all yes. that up in the show yes. notes. But so, you know, I would say one of the ways I manage my anxiety is by really, really being strict with myself about how much sleep I get. And, you know, I have a baby, which is not easy. He, you know, I will say in the past few weeks, he's decided that he doesn't want to eat that much during the day. So now he wakes up in the middle of the night and takes a bottle, which is such a freaking mindfuck. And I hate it, but I still like honor my sleep and do what I can to get as close to eight or nine hours as possible. And so right now, even though I, in the past was like very much, I'm never going to let my baby sleep in bed with me. Like it creates this terrible habit. I don't want it. But now my baby is sleeping with me a lot because it's just like, I am so tired in the middle of the night when he wakes up that I just like, I've started to bring him into bed with me and I'm just kind of like, let it go. And I, you know, it's something that I'm like, all right, I don't want to do this forever, but I'll figure it out later because right yes. now he's obviously going through a phase and with the food and not sleeping well. And, you know, and I'm kind of like helping him but also helping myself and how I'm helping myself is by making sure that I'm not like, you know, up in his room trying to rock him back to sleep for an hour because he'll fall back asleep, you know, as soon as I bring him into bed with me. And it's sort of like, you know, I don't love it. My husband doesn't love it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, well, I'm getting enough sleep. So whatever. And I will say my child sleeps on my floor every night because he (laughs) wanted me to walk him back. He would wake up during the night scared and then want Mm -hmm. me to walk him back to his room and I'd walk him back to his room and then I'd rub his back and then I'd be awake for two hours. So I was like, right. Just come sleep on my floor. 
I don't care. Yeah. So he comes to me yeah. every night and I'm like, you can do this till you're 18. I do not care. Like if you, <laughs> your point, my sleep is more important. And yes. if I'm losing yes. two hours of sleep every night, cause I have to walk you back to your room, mm-hmm. your back, and then I'm laying awake anxious. Then like, yes. no one. So. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's not helping anybody. So yeah, like that's kind of what I do. And I will say also, and this started in pregnancy, but especially like you know, in early parenting and, and right now because of these sleep issues we're having with the baby, like I'm going to bed between like 8.30 or 9 p.m. And I will like say like if like 25 year old me saw this, she would be like, what the hell are you doing? She'd going be to bed. disappointed in you. She'd be very disappointed in me. <laughs> but honestly, I love it. Like going to bed by like nine o'clock is like the best thing on the planet. And it doesn't always happen. It's not as consistent as I would like it to be. But I would say sleep is just like, definitely my number one form of self-care before besides like sobriety mm-hmm. for me at least yeah. you know other things that I do for myself is you know I'm a creative person so I try to do a little bit of art or something I actually got really into paint by numbers during the pandemic which is like really so fun and lovely and it's yeah, so it's, cool <laughs> it is it's really fun my husband actually got me this like incredible Christmas gift, which I will admit I haven't started yet, but he got one of my favorite pictures of us, the three of us in a paint by number. Oh so my I like, gosh. can't wait. I think I'm going to, once we finish unpacking here in a few weeks, like I'm going to start that. I'm so excited. Yeah. The other thing is I love listening to podcasts and audiobooks. So I'm a big like consumer of media in that way. And I find that audio really helps me to enjoy tasks that I don't enjoy. Yes. So like, folding laundry or cooking or doing the dishes. Like I just, yeah, I love it. But yeah, I mean, podcasts, I will say one of my favorite podcasts, you know, besides this one and and Laura's for sure. Obviously. obviously. um, (laughs) But I love Forever 35, which is actually a podcast that is focused on like beauty sort of, but it's really about self-care and how we take care of ourselves. And it's by two women who are also writers and also moms and how I actually got into that podcast is that they, I think last April and May, they had a separate podcast called Here For You. And it was like a daily check-in about the pandemic for a couple months. Oh, wow. And now they do that as like part of their regular podcast. And I just love it. Like, I think that like that listening to that podcast, which is like very focused on taking care of yourself in all of these different ways, including like beauty, but also including like reading and also like they had a therapist on this past week, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and like social justice, it's all these different ways that we take care of ourselves. Like even just listening to that podcast every week, like just reminds me to prioritize myself in whatever way I can. And, you know, it's like little stuff like that. And honestly, and this is something that I haven't been able to do as much, but as an extrovert, socializing is my self-care that's like a huge part of it. So, you know, even stuff like Instagram, I count that as part of my self-care because I just need to be able to like connect to other people and talk with other people or like texting or, you know, having a phone conversation with a friend, like all of that is also integrated into my self-care. I will say my husband, who's an introvert and the opposite of me, like his self-care, you know, especially now during the pandemic is like video games and like taking a night or two a week to just like do that on his own by himself. And Usually when he's doing that, I'm like having a phone date with a friend and it's great because I can do my extrovert self-care and he kind of do his introvert self-care. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Oh my goodness. Oh, this has been so fun, Irina. Okay. So we are almost out of time. I want to know how you are currently showing up as a shameless mom and you've already given so many beautiful examples, but how, what else would you like to show or share about your shameless motherhood? Oh gosh. I would say I show up best by just like 
embracing who I am and by being vocal about it. I forget who I was talking to, but oh yes, a friend of mine, you know, met some folks in this like really small conservative town. He met these like, I don't know, like hippie young folks. (laughs) I feel really old saying that just now, but (laughs) you know, something that they said really struck a chord with him and he shared it with me. And, you know, he kind of said like, we're proud out loud. Mm. And I think about that a lot now, you know, and I think that's like really been and become such a huge part of my identity is that I'm not just myself. I'm also myself out loud, like in public, on social media, you know, through my podcast, through my relationships with my friends, through the things I do, you know, in my community, through parenting. And, you know, and I think it's really that like being proud of myself out loud that helps me just like be who I am and just like serves as a daily reminder to just be like, like you said, a shameless mom and just like be open about everything. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love, so I appreciate that so much because this is such a gift that you've given us. So for you to show up as your truest self and be vocal about who you are and share yourself really openly, really vulnerably, and with so much grace and confidence and power gives everyone else and all the moms listening permission to do the same. And that's how change happens. That's how like we get to all live on all these spectrums and we can all be more accepting of the spectrum, of all the places on the spectrum. And so I I so deeply appreciate that and appreciate everything that you brought to this conversation. Where can people find you, listen to your podcast, tell us about your podcast, connect with you, all those good things. Sure. So, well, I'll I'll first talk, talk about my podcast. So my podcast is called Pandemic Mama and it is pretty much what it sounds like. It is about the experience of becoming a parent. So not just exclusive to moms but about the experience of becoming a parent in the past, you know, year and a half. And, you know, there, it started last September and I I took a little break, but I will be coming back in June. And basically it's weekly interviews with parents uh, talking about the experience and craziness of having a baby during a a global pandemic and just all the different things that involves. I mean, we've talked about grief. We've talked about missing out. We've talked about joy. We've talked about, you know, all the different forms of parenthood, like adoption and, you know, all different kinds of things. And uh, yeah, so Pandemic Mama, and you can follow the podcast at Pandemic Mama Pod on Instagram. And you can find me personally at Miss Irina Gonzalez, and it's M-S-I-R-I-N-A-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z on Instagram. It's really my best. I am on like Facebook and Twitter, but I barely ever check Twitter. So if, if you want to really chat with me and Instagram is a place to go. Love it. Can you say you were at pa- at Pandemic Mama and what was the what was your personal Instagram? Which actually I have. I can never mind. I'll look it up because we're connected <laughs> okay. there. I'll look it up. Um, so we will link everything in the show notes so that people can pop over. If you go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Irina Gonzalez, and you can click through any of these resources, books that she's mentioned, her podcast, Pandemic Mama, that everyone should listen to. Definitely follow her on Instagram. Oh my goodness. Irina, thank you for being here. I feel like we are all a little bit more conscientious of all the ways we show up in the world and can also have a little more grace for the ways that other people show up in the world because of everything you shared here today. And so thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And I really hope that, you know, this episode helps and touches even what I always say is whenever I share something really deeply personal, I hope it just touches one person, like just one Mm -hmm. other person out there that hears my story or, or reads something I wrote. And it's just like, oh my God, thank you for this. 
This episode is brought to you by my very own Shameless Motivational Coloring Book. To get your free 25-page motivational coloring book with all sorts of fun quotes that you hear me say all the time, go to shamelessmom.com slash coloring. That's shamelessmom.com slash coloring. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.